So to this day, I remember as a kid, before we got a fancy car where you could automatically lock your doors from the driver's seat, I remember my dad certain times going through certain parts of town or if there was certain, yeah, individual that seemed a little bit uh, less than friendly near our car, he would always lock your doors. Everybody goes and everybody locks their doors. It's a signal that at least he was being careful and wanted us to be on a little bit of a heightened alert. The passage we're going to read this morning, I think, should send some signals to us that are, are similar. The passage we're going to read this morning tells us we are in a spiritual battle, whether we like it or not, whether we ever felt like we signed up for this or not, whether we consider ourselves religious people or not. The truth is, we are in a spiritual battle. Spiritually speaking, we're not riding rides at amusement parks. We're not even in a neutral setting where we don't have to worry about our safety. Over the last several weeks, we've read about life in the church and life in the home and life in the community and our own individual walk walk with the Lord. None of that happens in a neutral setting. All of that is in the midst of a battle. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. I'm going to ask uh, Kristen Richardson to come up and read this important passage. And you can follow along on the screen or or hopefully you have a Bible with you. Uh, Ephesians 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 10 this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Thank you, Kristen. If you grew up in church much at all, you're probably familiar. You probably had a Sunday school lesson or two or ten about the whole armor of God. Or maybe you've heard a whole series of messages. We're not going to do this as a series. I actually think it can be helpful to 
to look at this one big picture of the armor of God and, and what's before it and what's after it. We could spend weeks on a text like this, but I think it would be helpful for us to look at it this morning. I wanted to frame kind of as we walk through the passage, so we're just going to simply go through it. I wanted to frame that though in kind of handholds here this morning are challenges because I feel like if all we do is read this passage and get more information, the, we haven't done enough with the passage. Because it's not just giving us information. It is, it is challenging us. It is commanding us to do certain things in light of this battle that we are in. And so, so let, let's think of it in, in the form of challenges. So if, if there's a first challenge in a world that isn't easy or very simple to be a Christian, maybe the first way we would say it is, we need challenge number one, face your need for someone else's strength. Face the need that you have for someone else's strength. And, th- and that's exactly what verse 10 is saying. Do you, do you see it there? Finally, be strong, but not in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord. And, and in the strength of his might. Put on armor, but not just the whole armor that you can find, the whole armor of God. So we are told here to be strong. And the implication is you can't be strong enough on your own. So you have to be strong in in a different dimension than your own strength. You have to be strong in the Lord. In the Christian life, let us just remind ourselves here, all right? When we all confess, I need you, I need you, every hour I need you, that is exactly what Christians are supposed to do. In the Christian life, self-sufficiency is the enemy. So somehow, sometimes we have the idea that the more mature I I become, maybe the less I need God. And I don't think any of us would ever verbalize that. We kind of think maybe there's less, less need for prayer, but actually doesn't it work the exact opposite of that? Spiritual maturity doesn't equal less dependence on God. It's actually going to be more awareness that every hour, every minute, every second, we need him. There will never be a time where we need God less. Nobody graduates to that. And we're fooling ourselves. If we think that's the case, be strong. And anticipating like, okay, I'm supposed to be strong in the Lord. Then I'm going to need him to do something for me to strengthen me. We're told to put on the armor of God, the armor that God provides What we need most in a battle, in conflict, is to be equipped for it. And he gives us the equipment. He gives us the help we need. He's good and supplies every need we have, and we're told to put the armor on. So be strong in the Lord. Face your need. I'm to face my need that I need someone else's strength in this spiritual battle. And as you rely on God's strength that he gives you, kind of challenge number two is that we concentrate on the goals of the armor. So we're to put on the whole armor, but before we get to each piece of the armor, we're to concentrate on the reason why we're receiving the armor. In the passage there in verse 11 and verse 13, uh, one key word that if you're in the habit of circling words or, or highlighting them, one that you would do is that. So put on the whole armor of God, that. Here's the reason. So that you may be able to stand against the schemes. Take up the whole armor that you may be able to resist or withstand in the evil day and to stand firm. 
This is our call to action. It's largely defensive, holding ground that God has already conquered. The word stand comes up against and again and again. Stand against the schemes of the devil, this verse says. The schemes, the coordinated strategic efforts to destroy your life. The onslaught of deceit or even distraction. The difficulty of growing weary and being human. The temptations that come with pain and the temptations that come with pleasure. All of this is enveloped in a strategy of Satan, a unique strategy to wreck us, to wreck my life, to wreck my family's life, to wreck our church. As the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there are schemes and there are plots and there are plans. Verse 13 says to resist, to withstand this. We are constantly resisting the devil. We're resisting the world's system. We're resisting even our own flesh. This isn't an easy fight. This is why we need strength to do any of what God's called us to do. And it's not going to be strength that we can kind of gin up inside of ourselves. We're going to need the strength that he supplies. Concentrate on on what is our mission here, and that is to stand firm, to hold our ground. And even in the midst of verse 13, it says, and having done everything... Continue to stand firm. It gives us the idea that this is no like short 100 meter dash that we'll watch in the Olympics. This is much more like a marathon or much more like an Ironman. It's going to require every bit of of resources that we we can have and those resources are going to come from the Lord. Concentrate on the goals of this armor. This is why we're going to put each piece on. Because we're to stand firm in the midst of opposition. And hold our position continually. As you take the armor on, can we go back to verse 12? It's 11 and 13 kind of bookend the purpose here, but in verse 12, I think the challenge is this, that we recognize the nature and limits of our enemy. We recognize the nature and the limits of our enemy. Look at verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, who do we wrestle against? Against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against, and here it's kind of summarized here, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's almost as if the analogy changes because one seems very warfare-oriented and this word is actually wrestling. We wrestle and it, it gives much the idea of an Olympic wrestling contest. So which is it? Is it like battlefield and a fight or is it the wrestling? And often in the battlefields in those days where there weren't precision and laser-guided missiles, often the the intense battle was hand-to-hand and it was almost more like a wrestling match for your life. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The British scholar that lived a couple decades ago, C.S. Lewis, warned us, warned us of a couple things as Christians. One is that we don't put our head in the sand, that we realize there is a real enemy. You know, it, it really is only in maybe the secular West where there's not an awareness that we have a real enemy, a real spiritual enemy, where we think, all that is just superstitious. We don't really believe in devils and demons and all that anymore because we, we are so enlightened that all, all we could explain by science, we don't have to believe in the, the spiritual darkness. 
Only, only a small percentage of the entire world's population believes that. And this passage tells us, don't, don't you dare believe that you don't wrestle against this evil force, this evil wickedness, this personal enemy, the devil. So that's one ditch to, to avoid that we don't realize we have a personal enemy. The, the other would be that we make so much of him, we think we stand no chance. We stand no chance against the demonic activity that goes on, that wages war against us. Our enemy is described as a spiritual force of evil in heavenly places. It's because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood that our weapons, like as you're leaving today, we don't hand out machine guns and bullets and swords. Because 2 Corinthians 10 says, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, not people. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Do we recognize, do we recognize even as we watch you know, this commentator, this political opinion, this idea, this philosophy, this marketing strategy, that all of that exists in the realm of a battle, and, and it's a battle for our own soul? It's somewhat daunting when we realize there is a world of darkness arrayed to just destroy us. Yet when I read a, a particular words in verse 12, I'm actually not, I'm not motivated to live in fear. When you read in verse 12 that we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Paul's talked already in Ephesians about the heavenly places. Let's kind of rewind in Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's look for that word, heavenly places, because it says this, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at the right hand, where? In the heavenly places. So while we wrestle against the evil forces in the heavenly places, who is reigning victorious there? Jesus is. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not in this age only, but also in the one to come. He has put all things under his feet. So this gives me, although, listen, it is, it is no encouraging thing to me that I'm wrestling against an unseen enemy. There is encouragement that in the realm where that, where that battle takes place, there is one who's victorious, and that is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, it's extended even more. In Ephesians 2, it says, and God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places. This is where we sit, in the heavenly places. So while we may feel vulnerable, in this great spiritual conflict, we're seated with Christ in those very places where the battle is going on. Christ rules there. We're seated there. And then even Ephesians 3 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is, this is what we have to be aware of. This is what we have to know. That Christ is victorious. That Christ rules in the dimensions where this battle takes place. I just take us through just a little synopsis of the life of Jesus. So remember Jesus facing Satan in the wilderness, being tempted 40 days, a season of temptation. And what happens there? Jesus is victorious. 
whether you want to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, watch Jesus in conflict with the demonic forces. And Jesus doesn't lose. But every single time, he proves victorious. Walk with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays, not my will, but your will be done. Walk with Jesus to the cross where it actually looks like the demonic forces have set down their enemy, Jesus Christ, but then stay three days, and on the third day, Jesus will rise in victory over these evil forces. Jesus has won. Jesus is victorious. So wherever he is calling us to go, it's not the decision here and the victory is not in doubt. Jesus rules in, a, in authority. This is so encouraging. So a song I remember hearing at camp, it had to be over 25 years ago, is be strong in the Lord and be of good courage because your mighty commander will vanquish the foe. Fear not, because the, fear not for the battle. The victory is always his and he will protect you wherever you go. Knowing that Jesus rules here gives us confidence. Gives us confidence, church. We're not fighting a lost cause. That even after fighting all this, we're just going to lose anyway. And it makes no difference whether we stay in the fight or not. Recognize the nature and limits of your enemy. And now we're prepared for the next portion of scripture that takes us through the armor to, to fight the battle intentionally using every single piece of the armor, even as Chris has called our attention to. It's, it's not like uh, there's optional equipment here. Every piece will matter. So you see the pieces there. It's, the, the words there, it begins in verse 14. Like, stand there for it. It's almost a, a pep rally here. You can do this. You can do this. Stand. You don't have to give ground. You can do this. But you're going to have to belt up with truth. You're going to have to have the breastplate of righteousness. You're going to have your, your, your boots on, the battle boots uh, of peace. You're going to have to have a shield of faith. You're going to have to have a helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. I remember when the middle school I was a part of started a football program and we, most of us were new to playing football and so none of us knew what any sort of the equipment was. And so I remember the coach, like the first day of practice, taking us through each piece of equipment that we were going to have. And this is why this is important. And this is why you have to put this on. And this is why this matters. This is why that matters. You don't want to go without this. You, don't, you can't play without this. And piece by piece, Paul takes us through this armor of God. So the first piece we're told in verse 14 is we belt up with truth. One thing we, we, can, we can be fascinated by the analogy of the armor and forget it's the armor of God. So it's the armor he's providing. So it's, it's as if he's giving you truth and saying belt up with that because everything's going to hold together based on truth. It's going to hold your life together. Put on the armor of God. Well, well, that makes total sense, right? Because Jesus is the truth. And God is the God of truth who cannot lie. And even Ephesians 4.21, Paul's already said to the Ephesian church that in Christ is truth. What if you don't have this? You could be naive spiritually. You could be gullible. You'd be easily deceived, perceiving truth. So I mean, you could say, well... I, I like to think of truth as, you know, whatever just seems right to me. And there is a way that seems right 
to humans. And it always ends in death. But what protects us is belting up with the truth of God. When we hear this voice, that voice, the prevailing winds on, well, you know, we're living in 2016 and we've evolved to this place where we see right and wrong a little differently than they did maybe four years ago or eight years or 20 or 200. What anchors us here is this is truth about your finances. This is truth about what it means to be self-centered. This is truth about why God gave us pleasure. This is truth about creation. This is truth about hope and help. This is truth about how everything will be made right. This is truth about how we're to live our lives morally. And he says, put it on. Put on this belt of truth. Church, put this on. You say, well, how? So how do I do that? I think one of the things that helps us the most, and it's really, really simple, is what someone's described as the habits of grace. Or if you want to call it spiritual disciplines. Like what helps me belt up with truth is when I spend regular time in God's word. When I don't just assume, well, you know, I went to church for an hour. I heard the Bible read there, and I think that'll do me. But when I make it part of it like a daily rhythm to say, I need to, I need to hear the truth. I know here's the truth and I'm going to make a habit of God's grace to me uh, of digging in this. So that's one habit of grace. Another habit of grace would be praying to the Lord and communicating to him going, Lord, sometimes it's hard to discern what is truth and I need your help. I need the Holy Spirit of truth to give me truth. Another habit of grace will be putting ourselves in a, a community of believers where we saying, yes, we are more than conquerors. We're We're not losers in a spiritual fight. We're more than conquerors. Belt up with truth. Take on the the breastplate of righteousness. Whenever you read righteousness in the Bible, it, it should always start with God because if we start with our own righteousness, our righteousness, according to Isaiah, is like filthy rags. We start with God's righteousness. It's perfect. It's infinite. And and God made Jesus to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. So we receive his righteousness. So, So put on the breastplate, and you can imagine that is protecting all the vital organs. So this is not an optional piece. So you put on the breastplate so so that your spiritual vitality can can be protected. As we put on this armor, we we begin to think through if he is our righteous, if he declares us righteous, if we are becoming righteous because he is at work in us, it helps us in the moment where we go, well, I, I don't feel very righteous as well. He is our righteousness. I don't know if I'm good enough. He is your righteousness. He is your one defense, your righteousness. Oh God, how we need him. See, we're, we're putting on this breastplate of righteousness. We need that, and he gives it. This is the armor of God. My, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So as I read this, I think, yeah, the point of it never was that I could be righteous on my own. I need his. I need his. You belt up with that truth. Do you put that breastplate on of righteousness? Are there habits of grace that take you regularly to remind you that while you, you may feel guilty before God, there is a pronouncement of and a declaration of righteousness on you. 
Are you in the word enough for that to happen? Are, are you praying to God? Are you making this sort of regular habit of God's grace in your life? Are you bringing yourselves into contact with other believers who remind you of this? Church, put on the breastplate of his righteousness. And it goes down to kind of our, our footwear and, and for our, our battle boots, we put on his peace. Once again, this is the armor of God. So it's not like peace we make. It's the peace that he's already made. He is our peace, Ephesians 2 says. And he makes peace. And he and tells us to, to keep the peace that he's already made. Peace as it relates to God. We have, we've been reconciled with him. And there's something about like that gives us the ability to move. We've got our feet prepared. We can walk around, spiritually speaking, with our feet prepared with, with peace. So we can live at peace with God because he's given us that. We can live at peace with each other because he's given us that. And there's kind of this idea of feet are going to move us into other dimensions where we're going to tell others about this gospel of peace. We're ready to do that. We're ready to share peace, not, not war and not anger and not wrath because God has, made a, God has made peace. There's good news. What happens if you say, ah, I don't think I need that. We struggle with our own internal peace. We won't have peace with each other. We take up the shield of faith. I love this description. The picture again takes us to where kind of a, you better lock your doors kind of moment because this is no, like this is not, you don't feel very safe in this world because there's this picture of like fiery missiles coming in. And you take the shield in all circumstances and it's the shield of faith. So there will never be a time, if it's all circumstances, there will never be a time where yeah, I don't think I'm going to need it for this battle. So here we go out in the morning. Here we go out on Monday morning, and we are going to need faith. So what, what is faith? Well, first of all, faith is the gift of God, according to Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's the gift of God. So God gives you faith. God reminds you of, and gives you the ability to rely on all that he's promised to be for you in Christ. So you can take him at his word. You can trust and obey. You can trust his heart. And if we don't take that up, we're, we're liable to fall into all sorts of doubt and unbelief because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, what's very easy for me to do is sometimes to take this narrative in my mind so this bad thing happens and this bad thing happens and this frustrating thing happens and this thing I don't like happens. And I begin to tie it. You know, I know the Bible says like, God is working all things for good, and I know it says he loves me, but I don't know that I can believe that. Because this, 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 and this, and we begin to put this narrative together that actually makes us doubt or makes us cynical. Do we not realize this is the scheme of the devil? This is the flaming, the flaming missile coming in at our hearts. When we take the shield of faith, when we because of habits of grace, we, we actually take that to the Lord and say, this story of the last week, month, year of my life causes me to doubt. But Lord, I want to be like the, the person that approached Jesus and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, my, my, my faith is so small. Would you grow my faith? when you read in scripture of all that we can trust God for. We don't have to fall into that unbelief. 
we can remind ourselves, I'm just grateful for the music we sing around here. Even starting off the morning, I will call upon the Lord. He's strong enough. The only one strong enough to save. The shield of faith comes out. I'm not going to get overwhelmed. My junior year of high school, my first year out of college, this trying time is not going to just sweep over me. I can stand firm, not because of my own strength, but because I'm standing in the strength that God gives and he's given me armor. He's not having me walk into this particular issue of of pain or, or stress or difficulty or anxiety or depression or a panic attack. I'm not walking into this without any sort of equipment. God has given me faith to walk through these very things that are causing me to wonder, is God even present? God is strengthening our faith. We take the helmet of salvation. This is not us earning our way to God. This isn't like, be a good boy, be a good girl, like collect all these little things, and if you're good outweighs, you're bad, or if you try to be the change you want to see in the world, and God sees that, he'll give you two thumbs up, and, and, and you'll be saved, and you'll be rescued from everything. Once again, it's the armor of God, so when we put on the helmet of salvation, it is God saving us. He does all the work. He does all the heavy lifting. He plans our salvation. He accomplishes it, and then he provides us the way of rescue. We're made alive. We're seated at the right hand. We're sealed until the day he comes back. Our salvation. Let's go to the past when he saved us in eternity past. Let's come to the present where he's saving us right now from just totally wrecking our lives. Let's go to the future where we're sealed. And ultimately we'll say he has saved us. Worthy is the lamb who was slain because he's redeemed us. And all the way we'll say he saved us there. He's saving us now. He'll save us ultimately. Let's put on the helmet of salvation. Put the peace on. We need it. We need rescue. And we put it on through the habits of grace. Each piece matters. No part of it is disposable. I love how it just keeps building almost a climax here. Okay, stand firm, resist. And verse 17, it's like the, some of the uh, offensive weapons come out. It seems like we played a lot of defense. Verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray at all times with all prayer, all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Someone said it well. It's not like we're supposed to pray some of the time with some prayer, some perseverance for some of the saints, but it's this massive, like, we got to pray. So it's the sword and the prayer. And then there's like verse 19, which I think was the theme verse for camp for the kids this week. Pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You notice kind of all three things going on here. Regular use of the word, which brings light and guidance and refreshing. Because we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So we, we have this sword that we wield, that we actually stand our ground and we, and we push away the enemy through the sword that we have taken into our lives and we've meditated on and we've memorized and we've, we call it to mind in a moment of battle. And we make continual use of prayer. All times we're praying. John Piper's called it like our walkie-talkie to God. And I love the analogy because it just reminds us we are in battle and we need communication with, with our commander. And we pray to him and we say we need help. And then we have this consistent focus on the mission of proclamation we, we tell. Because the gates of hell don't prevail against the church. The church, we don't just sit back. 
But Paul says, I'm, I'm in chains. Pray that I'll be bold. I think of all the things that could limit our ability to proclaim the gospel, all the inadequacies we feel. I think of those with disabilities. I think of those going through physical, physical struggles right now. I think of those who feel like their best days of ever boldly proclaiming the gospel, those days seem to be past. And I think the Lord just has a sense of humor here and that maybe your most strategic days for proclaiming the gospel are in front of you, not behind you. And maybe they're through the difficulty, not, not, it's not a disqualifier from you being bold. I, I would imagine as Paul looked at chains, we'd say, seems like he's pretty limited there. Paul says, pray that I'd be bold. I would declare faithfully. He sets this in a, a community that cares about Paul and Paul cares about. So he would say, I'm sending Tychicus to you so that you'll know how I am. And so you'll be encouraged. Pronounces a benediction on the end in verse 23. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And studying the passage and reading it all week and reading it again and again. It's done a couple things in my heart. One is it's just made me look forward to the day when there is no battle. When there is no spiritual conflict. When news agencies have no bad news to report. When there is no world conflict. I look forward when our, our world is free from that. No enemy to resist. No evil day causing us to stand firm. But church, we are not there yet. We're not there yet. So even as I thought about that, so until that day comes, what are we supposed to do? Imagine with me, we're in a, we're in a locker room. It's before a football game. And so everybody's got their equipment on. Everybody's buckling up their chin strap. They got their mouth guard on. And the coach comes in and looks at the whole team assembled there. He said, guys, it'd be rough if we went outside this locker room today. I think we're just going to hang in here. It's, it's tough out there. Like it's, it's likely it would be a fight out there. It's likely it would be a struggle. It'd be a battle. And so you look great in your armor. You're all, you know, the equipment looks great. The uniforms are clean. Let's just hang out in here. You know what, call it, what you would call that in sports? You call it a forfeit. Like there's no game play. Because one team suited up, but didn't go out. I think spiritually speaking, could it be that we read this about the armor and all oh, faith and salvation and truth and oh, I need all that on. But if we read that and thought, well, let's just kind of huddle up. Now let's just make sure the doors are locked. Let's just kind of exist in this community, never thinking about a world that's outside that, that, that may be difficult, that may be dark, that may be threatening, that may be challenging. But we've been giving, given armor and equipment and the power of God to go out into that world and shine his lights. The point is never to sit in the locker room. It's to go into battle. But we go into the battle, not ill-equipped. We go into the battle with the armor that the Lord's provided. 
we head into this conflict, not on our own, but with a leader who already has proven victorious, who's our commander, our captain, our coach, whatever analogy you want to use. He's already gone into that arena and won in that arena, and he is going with us. We are not walking alone. So let's do exactly what Paul's instructed us to do. In a moment, we won't be the church gathered anymore. We'll be the church scattered. And we don't have to walk outside of the walls in terror and fear because we ultimately know we have armor on that's equipped us. God's made us ready for this moment. But we should not exit this place without prayer and being vigilant in it and taking on every piece of armor because we will need it all in going into the conflict. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the instruction that you've given us. I pray that we would have seen more this morning than an analogy. I pray for our souls where we could be very fearful. And we would rather, Paul has said, just run and hide than stand firm. So God, if we're not going to run and hide, if we're not going to chicken out on our faith or try to pretend that we really aren't as serious about our faith, or if we are really going to stand and resist the enemy and not just give in to every temptation, every whim of our heart, we are going to need you to give us that armor. But in faith, we are going to have to put it on. So we are praying and confessing our need. We're praying for our own lives individually. We're praying corporately that you would help us be the church that is spreading good news and is not afraid and is not fearful. Helps to be the church that, that arises and sees your love going forward. Let us be that church, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.